When blind men see, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for God to help us today. Father, as people who have the physical ability to see, we kind of assume that we can see everything, and that's simply not true. The Scripture reveals to us, Lord, that our hearts have been darkened by sin, that we have been blinded by the evil one, the the darkness of the world, the the fallenness of our own hearts. There are things that, apart from Christ, apart from grace, apart from mercy, as these two blind men cried out for, apart from God reaching out to us and touching us and gracing us, We just will not see the things of the Lord. We will not understand the cross of Christ. We will not understand the things of God. The Scripture tells us the natural man receives not the things of God. We will not see the glory of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4 tells us that. So the the things that are most true in the, in the universe and the things that are saving for eternity, the things that are most fundamental and most important and most essential are the things that we can't see, that we're blinded to in this fallen world, in our fallen selves, in our darkened hearts. So our cry really should be the cry that we've read today, Lord, have mercy on us and and let our eyes be opened. And even as believers, Lord, our our eyes become darkened, they become callous, they, they grow spiritual cataracts at times. We can see things a little, but they become a lot fuzzy and They become not as important as they should be, not as clear as they should be. The more and and more we become tainted and corrupted by the world around us, the less and less clear we see the truths of the Scripture and stand for them and embrace them. And so then again, our cry should be today, Lord, have mercy on us and, and let our eyes be opened. And we all need that, and we all need it on a regular basis. And we need it today. We need it today, Father. And, and we might not even recognize it. And if we don't recognize it, we need it even more. And so we, we just ask that as we study this passage together, we believe your word is alive and active and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We believe that you are present with us. We believe that your grace is evident. We believe that your spirit is working, and so we're trusting in all of those wonderful things, Father, to, to do a great work here today in our hearts, in our homes, in your church. You would build us as believers, and you would, you would compel us as unbelievers, Father, to yourself today. 
do a great work, Lord, and may you greatly be praised because of it. In Christ's name, we ask these things. Amen. When blind men see, I've, I've heard and I've read throughout the years all kinds of explanations that people come up with to try to deconstruct the Bible. That means do away with all the miracles in the Bible. So the crossing of the Red Sea actually happened because of a certain direction the wind was channeled through the mountain peaks. The crossing of the Jordan was actually due to seasonal... Actually, was all about the young boy sharing his meal. And when he gave up his meal and everybody saw him give up his meal, then they all gave up their meal. And, and really, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 wasn't Jesus multiplying fish and loaves. That's too fantastical to believe. It was actually everybody was sharing their meal. And that was an even greater miracle we're told. People go to great lengths to deconstruct the miracles of the Bible, to remove any notion of divine intervention or the hand of God, because if you can remove God intervening in his creation, then the next step is just you remove God. He's, he's not involved, he's not attentive, He's not around, and we're on our own, and therefore we can do what we want to. And that's always the drive of the human heart, to be able to do what I want to with no one looking over my shoulder. That's the drive of the theory of evolution, right? we got to explain creation without a creator, because once you have a creator, then you have someone over you. And if you have someone over you, you're accountable to them. And so we can't have that. So we'll make up this implausible theory and we'll just keep saying that it's true until everybody agrees that it's true all efforts though to remove God from the biblical narrative come to a screeching halt however when you come to the stories of blind men receiving their sight you can't just explain that one away when you have so many testimonies verifying and affirming that these men in, all, in, in the accounts of Scripture, that these men were blind and now they are seeing. And the difference is they met Jesus. Restoring sight to the blind goes well beyond the scope of science and, and natural explanation and, and the wonders of the human body to repair itself. It goes well beyond the scope of, of any other way that we can try to find an explanation Faulty vision can be corrected. I thank the Lord that faulty vision can be corrected. I'm wearing contacts right now. If I were not, you all would just be a blur. The words on this page to me would be a blur if it were not for the fact that we can correct faulty vision. But lack of vision, the absence of vision, cannot be corrected. It is beyond our lim limitations. It's beyond our reach. If you are born blind, you will never have sight. If you lose your ability to see, it cannot be restored. Now, I'm not talking about temporary things. You know what I'm referring to. 
Restoring sight to the blind is on par with raising someone from the dead. It can only be explained by saying God must have just done something. The only explanation at that point is God. It's beyond everything in our human realm. There's no denying the hand of God when something like this occurs. And that's why in Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 7, one of the clearest identifying marks of the Messiah, when Isaiah is talking about the servant and he's speaking, the Lord is speaking through Isaiah and talking about his chosen one that he's going to send, one of the clearest identifying marks that this man is in fact the Messiah sent from heaven is that when he comes, verse 7 says, he will open the eyes of the blind. Something that is beyond our human capacity to even imagine. And yet, he will do so. The Son of God will do what only God can do. And therefore, what can only be explained by divine intervention. And so once again, we have here in Matthew's gospel... Very clear evidence of who Jesus is. The man on the way to Jerusalem to be crucified, we've studied that earlier in chapter 20. This man on the way to Jerusalem to be crucified is none other than the very Son of God. He is God in the flesh here on the earth. And he's restoring sight to the blind. So right before he enters Jerusalem... There's absolutely no question about who he is in this miracle account. So let's think about this closer together. First of all, let's talk about the sight of two blind men. The sight of two blind men. And as it turns out, these two blind men can see what many around them who have vision, who have sight, are not able to see, cannot see, will not see. Indeed, these blind men are able to see the most important thing to be seen. They see that Jesus is the Messiah. Without the gift of physical eyesight, they see beyond the physical, and they see the truth, the eternal truth, that Jesus is the Messiah. They see that Jesus is the one who is able to heal them. They can't see his facial features. They can't describe to you, to a sketch artist, what Jesus looks like in the face, but they see his power which is far more important than describing his facial features. They, they, they can't describe his clothing. They, they couldn't describe to you the, the, the brand of sandals or the, the colors in his robe or, or anything like that. They couldn't describe these temporary details about him, but they can testify to his divinity, to his infinite being. They see things. These two blind men have a sight that most people around them are not able to see. I've heard that 
when people do not have the capacity of one of their senses, that inevitably the one or more of their other senses are, are sharpened. We might say that, that these two blind men here, not able to see with their eyes, but they're, they're able to believe with their hearts. They're able to see with their hearts what they could not see with their eyes. And their faith has allowed them to see the greatest sight of all. They actually see, before Jesus opens their eyes, they see that Jesus is God in the flesh. And that's the greatest sight to ever be seen. Everything about their request to Christ, their plea, their, their cry to Christ reveals the depth and the, and the clarity of their faith. First of all, notice their, their identification of Jesus was was accurate when they heard that Jesus was passing by they cried out Lord when they heard Jesus the man from Nazareth was passing by they cried out Lord they didn't cry out teacher they didn't cry out rabbi they didn't cry out good man they cried out Lord they saw what the Pharisees refused to see. They, they saw that Jesus wasn't just another man from Nazareth. He wasn't just another teacher among teachers. He wasn't just another prophet among prophets. There was something that set him apart. He was different than everyone else. He wasn't just a man. They didn't call out to him by his, the name of his humanity, Jesus. They called out to him by the name of his deity, Lord. And we know Lord used in, in, in the Greek language. Lord is also used as, as, a, as, a, as a title, as a reference of respect. But when, when it's addressed to Christ, and they've also called him son of David, they're not just giving him a respectable title, Lord. They are acknowledging him as the Lord. Not just a great man, but the Lord of heaven and earth. The Greek language uses that word in both ways. Just another way people try to look at the, at the New Testament say it's not saying what we know that it's saying. And that leads to the second component of their faith. They believe that Jesus is divine. They believe that Jesus is Lord. And that leads to the second part of their plea, the second revelation about their faith. If God is here on this earth in the man Jesus, then he is the source of abounding mercy. The Lord of heaven and earth is a, is a God of steadfast love, abounding, a gracious God, abounding in mercy. We read that on, on Wednesday night. We were, were going through the books of the Bible on Wednesday nights. We went to Jonah this past Wednesday, and, and we looked at the testimony about God in Jonah is that he's gracious and full of mercy and abounding in steadfast love. That's the Lord. And if the Lord's here and he's in, he's in the man Jesus Christ, Jesus is Lord, if he's right here in front of us, he is the source of mercy. 
This is where mercy comes from. And so they cry out, have mercy on us. And so phrasing their petition in that manner, have mercy on us, directing that petition to Jesus, Lord, have mercy on us, it indicates that, that underneath that, that petition, it, for, to cry out that petition, you have to believe some fundamental things about Jesus. Number one, you have to believe that he is able You don't cry out for mercy, and there's a specific mercy that they're seeking, isn't it? Because he says, what do you want me to do for you? And they say, let our eyes be opened. So there's something specific, there's a specific mercy they're looking for, namely that blind eyes might be opened. Only God can do that, and they're asking Jesus to have that mercy on them. In other words, they believe that he's God, they believe that he's able He's able to answer that cry. He's able to answer that plea. There's so much that we can learn from these blind men, isn't there? He has the power to do the unthinkable. He has the ability to reverse irreversible nature. You don't go blind and then go back and see again. You don't do that. Unless God says, do that. And they must believe that this is God. Because that's the mercy they're requesting from him. They believe that he is able. Number two, they must believe that he is willing. They must believe that Jesus is. As God is not only able to restore their sight, but he's absolutely willing to do so. All they need to do is ask. All they need to do is demonstrate their faith in him, in who he is and what he can do by asking. And so they ask, and they keep asking, and they keep asking, and they keep asking, and they keep asking. Because if he is God in the flesh, and he is able, and he is willing... No doubt they've heard the stories of Jesus healing the sick. They've heard stories of Jesus casting out demons, of of Jesus even raising the dead, of of causing the, the lame to... This man, Jesus, who is without a doubt the Lord, is not only able, he must be willing. They've they've heard all of these reports of his compassion. Of his willingness, not just his ability, but his willingness. Everywhere he goes, in fact, he extends compassion to the needy. Why, if we would just ask, if we would just appeal to him, we know he not only could do what we ask, he would do what we ask. So for them to cry out, Lord, have mercy on us, that that means they understand he is able. That means they understand he is willing. And it also means they understand they don't deserve it. They say, Lord, have mercy on us. 
Reach out to us in compassion. Do something to us out of the goodness of your heart. Out of, out of grace, extend this remarkable request to us. They cry for mercy. They don't cry for fair treatment. Lord, be fair. Lord, everybody else here can see but us. It's not right. It's not fair. Do what's fair. You healed other people. Therefore, you should heal us too. We deserve this too. We don't deserve to be blind. We shouldn't be blind. We should be able to see like everybody else. Look what, look what fate has done to us. Look what God has done to us. Look, look how we have to live our lives. No, 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 no. They didn't blame anyone. They understood that when God blesses, it's not because it's what we are due. It's not because what we deserve. It's actually what we don't deserve. It's called mercy. Mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. Grace is when we get what we don't deserve. Mercy. Lord, have mercy on us. In other words, if we're going to see again, we know that you are able... We know that you are willing, and we know it would be by grace. Be good to us. Help us. They didn't come with any kind of attitude of entitlement or deserving or merit, just pleading, just crying for mercy. All of those things are underneath that cry, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. And the third thing that we see about their faith, their extraordinary faith as blind men, is that they attribute to Jesus the title Son of David. So they clearly remove any doubt as to who they think Jesus is by expressing to him the title Son of David because that's a messianic title. So they understand the promise of God to David that I'm going to give you a son and he's going to sit on the throne forever. His kingdom will endure forever because your son will be none other than the son of God. In other words, these blind men have concluded that if Jesus can open blind eyes, Isaiah 42, 7, he's none other than the promised one. He's the coming Messiah. This is the son of David who will set up the kingdom of God and rule from his throne, his glorious throne, forevermore. So they actually call Jesus, Jesus, the man, son of David, attributing to him what hardly no one else around him would, would confess, that he's the Messiah See, these blind men see what most people aren't, aren't seeing. Through their eyes of faith, they see what most men around them cannot see. And that leads us to the second point, the courageous faith of these two blind men. 
It's not only the content of their faith, which is absolutely biblically accurate and true about Jesus. It's not just the content, but it's because of the content, the accuracy of their faith. It's a very courageous faith. As soon as these men make a step towards Jesus, they are immediately met with opposition, aren't they? That's the very next thing that happens. They hear that Jesus is passing by. They cry out, Lord. Now, they cry out. They, they're blind men. Jesus is passing by. They don't stop him. So they cry out, Lord, have mercy on a son of David. And the crowd rebuked them. That's the very next thing that happened. The crowd rebuked them. Telling them to be silent. Isn't that something? The crowd rebuked them, and, and, and when, when the Scripture says telling them to be silent, that means a lot of people in the crowd kept telling them, Shh, be quiet. Don't disturb him. Who are you? What are you doing? Don't cause a disruption. Be quiet. Be quiet. Sit down. Shh. They shushed them, their faith. Isn't this the way it always is? It's always this way. We shouldn't be shocked. We shouldn't be perplexed. We shouldn't be confused, surprised, taken off guard. Remember back in chapter 19 when those parents were bringing their children to Jesus and the disciples rebuked them. And here when these blind men cry out to Jesus for mercy, the crowds rebuked them. We must pay very careful attention to these narratives that we read in Scripture because they're, they're, these are things that are always true through, through the ages the minute we step towards Jesus, somebody in the church or outside of the church is going to try to keep you quiet, is going to try to silence your faith, is going to try to shh, shh, put you in your place, tell you that you're getting too, too wrapped up and too fanatical about Jesus. Now, you can get absolutely berserk over your favorite sports team and nobody will say anything but applaud and laugh and high five. You can go all out for the latest calls, the latest trend. Change your Facebook profile. Do whatever it is to, for, for the latest calls, the latest monthly cheer. And everybody will applaud and like and but the minute you sell out to Jesus, the minute you speak up for eternal biblical truth, the minute you, you look to Christ and find in him your eternal joy and point to him as the only way, the only answer, the only truth, the only salvation, the only hope, the only way to heaven, well, you'll find what these blind men found out you'll get rebuked pretty quick you'll get unfriended so quick it'll make your head spin you know why that is and we've got to learn this it's amazing how often we have to learn this in the church and we need to learn this at Gracie Pond the crowds don't care about you All those people on Facebook and TikTok and Instagram that you actually don't know, 
They don't care about you. They care about the agenda. Because that's their agenda. And if you're with their agenda, they're with you. If you're not with their agenda, they're not with you. Think about these blind men. If Jesus gets by, he's the opened. If he doesn't restore their sight, they still remain blind. And the crowds are telling them to be quiet. When they should be helping escort them to Jesus. If they cared, but they don't. Love today is being defined as affirmation. If you don't affirm me and what I do and what I stand for, then you don't love me. Love has always been truth. Love will always be truth. I can love you and not affirm what you're doing with your life. truth Jesus is your life and salvation and hope those who really care will cheer you to Jesus those who don't will try to silence you those who really care will say some hard things to you to try to get you to Jesus those who don't will say some hard things to you to keep you from Jesus they rebuke these men But these blind men not only had the right content of faith, they had a courageous faith. The more, I I love this, don't you? The more the crowds told them to be quiet, the more they called out. The louder the crowds got, the louder they got. That's what the text says, doesn't it? The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more. So they would not be drowned out by the crowd. They would not be silenced by the crowd. And their plea remained the same. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. You see, they didn't need the crowd's approval. They were blind men. They didn't need the crowd's approval. They didn't need to to sit back down and and be quiet and, and... Be silent and and wait till Jesus passes by and wait for somebody in the crowd to say, that's good, that's good, you were quiet, that's good. That's not what they needed. They needed to see. (laughs) They needed something the crowd couldn't give them. So why listen to the crowd, church? Why listen to the world? We need something they cannot give us. So they continued to cry out all the more. They needed Jesus' mercy, not the crowd's approval. If they allowed the crowd to silence them, Jesus would pass by and they would remain blind. Some things are far more important than affirmation and approval. Things like salvation, forgiveness, heaven, eternity, truth, Christ, the gospel... Some things are far more important than winning the approval of others. These men, they could see more than most people could see, and their faith was so courageous. They were willing to speak out and cry out. And then the last thing, 
the two blind men and the miracle of sight. What a wonderful passage. Isn't this a wonderful passage? Notice with me, the men didn't stop calling out to Jesus, so Jesus stops and calls them. That's a wonderful transition in this passage. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on a son of David, and stopping, Jesus called them. That's exactly what they were eager for. And what happens next is a, is a beautiful display of our compassionate, loving, sovereign Savior. Stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, get this request. Lord, let our eyes be opened. They asked him for the one thing that they knew that only he could do. They didn't ask for food. They didn't ask for stimulus. They didn't ask for clothing, shelter. They asked for the one thing that only he could do. You know why? They must have believed he's able. They must have believed he's able. Look what that kind of faith does, how it works, and how the Lord works in response to that kind of faith. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes. So he was willing. They believe that he is able. They believe that he is willing. They requested. They called to him. He called to them. They made their request. And in pity, he touched their eyes. He absolutely was willing. And immediately, the Bible says, immediately they recovered their sight. Immediately they recovered their sight. Can you imagine the first thing that they see is Jesus? They've already seen more of him than most people can see of him, but then they see him. It's really the same for us as believers, right? Though you've never seen him, you love him. But one day we will see him. Imagine that day. We already see more of Jesus than the world sees of Jesus, but one day we will see Jesus. And when God touches you in that fashion and in that way, your life is never the same. Look, look what happened, those last three words, and followed him. And followed him. I just want to draw uh, an application from this miracle story for us and our thoughts for our conclusion Jesus opening the eyes of the blind demonstrates really two eternal truths. Number one, as we've said, it demonstrates that Jesus is the Messiah. Only God can do that. The Son of God, God in the flesh. And it was a mark of who the coming Messiah would be. When you see someone open the eyes of the blind, you'll know that that's the Messiah. That's Isaiah 42. So the first eternal truth is when Jesus opens the eyes of the blind, it demonstrates that he is God in the flesh. The Son of God here on the earth. 
But the second thing that it demonstrates to us, these miracles have a purpose beyond them in and of themselves. So he's doing something by giving these two blind men sight beyond giving these two blind men sight. And that is, miracles demonstrate that what only Jesus can do in the physical realm is teaching us that that's the only one that can do these things in the spiritual realm. If he's God in the flesh, he can open the eyes of the blind. If he's God in the flesh, he can open the eyes of your heart. If he's God in the flesh, he can raise the dead. If he's God in the flesh, he can raise the spiritually dead. Ephesians 2 verse 1 says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. 2 Corinthians 4 says that we're spiritually blind apart from Christ. We cannot see his glory. But God in grace can turn to us and make us alive in Christ. God in grace can turn to us and lift the veil from our eyes. He can do those things. He is able. He is God. That's one of the points of the miracles. This is God. And what he's showing you in the physical realm is what he can actually do in the spiritual realm. But we have to be like these blind men, don't we? We have to learn from these blind men. We actually can't see everything we think we can see. We need to see what they could see. They knew they were blind. We need to come to that realization. They knew that they could not see. We need to come to the realization that that we are broken, that we are fallen, that we are sinful, that we are blind to the things of God. They also knew that Jesus is God, that he could open their eyes, that he was willing to open their eyes. So they kept calling to Jesus. They looked to Jesus as God in the flesh, the only one who could answer their cry, open their eyes. And so they just kept calling to Jesus and calling to Jesus until Jesus called to them. They just kept believing he's able, he's willing. He's able, he's willing, and we need it. And they kept calling to Jesus until he called to them and they found him willing and able to open their eyes. And now they sing in heaven, I guess they sing in heaven, Amazing Grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Would you come to Christ today? He is God. He is able. He is willing to save you, to open the eyes of your heart, to forgive you of your sin, to give you eternal life. If we would simply recognize who we are, who he is, and cry out to him in faith. Let's pray. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.